Welcome to Stand Forever, a podcast based on the truth that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Stand Forever originated from the First Baptist Church in Kearney, Missouri, just outside of Kansas City. Our teacher is Ken Parker, the church's senior pastor. We all deal with grief at different times in our lives. Whether we've lost a loved one, experienced a challenging family situation, or some other difficult circumstance, grief affects us all. So what does the Bible say about handling grief? Join Pastor Ken as he sets out to answer that question in his series, Climbing a Mountain Called Grief. Now for today's teaching, here's Ken. The great preacher Phillips Brooks is credited as having said, If you preach to hurting people, you'll never lack for a congregation. If you preach to hurting people, you'll never lack for a congregation. I think that's true. A while back, when I announced I was going to be preaching a series of messages on grief, I asked people to send me their stories about their own personal grief if they were open to me sharing them. Suffice it to say, there are a lot of people experiencing a lot of grief in life. In fact, I received more stories, I'm sure, than I would be able ever to share. One friend wrote me the following, and bear in mind, we talked about the life of Joseph from the Bible just a couple of weeks ago. This is what my friend wrote. Listen carefully. He writes, my story can be compared to the biblical Joseph. Indeed, God directs my life and events for his honor and glory. I am a strong believer in family, which is a key to healthy society. Mom abandoned me when I was two months old. This exposed me to a toxic upbringing. As an innocent child, I never experienced her cuddles, never experienced her holding me to feed me. Her leaving exposed me to criticism, abuse, sarcastic ridicule, and insults from my dad when he was tipsy. I was cared for by my grandmother. It always was difficult to define what I felt given the background my mother exposed me to. First, I was never a bad or mischievous boy, but a victim of circumstance. My dad openly abused me verbally and physically, and this was hurtful. The intensity of the abuse was regular, and then because of a falsehood by my stepmom, I was left all alone. Everyone knew I suffered, but they never helped. Everyone assumed it was okay for me to be abused. Relatives never intervened. During my high school years, life was hard and wasted. I underperformed in school. I underachieved. My high school life was characterized by verbal and physical abuse from a drunk, abusive dad during school breaks and his leave breaks. I had no peace. I would weep as I replayed those gruesome moments and one day even contemplated suicide. But God directs all life. I gave my life to Christ in high school in the midst of all these upheavals. Growing up in a village, my life was a tapestry of adventure. I have only God to thank. He helped me fight to make my own space, build my own life. Glory and honor be to God. He protected me during years when I was trapped in a cycle of physical and verbal abuse. I never broke down. God helped me remain humble, enthusiastic, and hopeful. This made me leave home and settle in Nairobi. To survive, I worked in a supermarket till I resigned in June of 2018. 
Through the urging, inspiration, and prompting of the Holy Spirit, I was led to grow in my abilities as a theologian, to be equipped, exposed to leadership values, and to gain in-depth ministry tools in the preparation for a lifetime of service as a teacher of the Word, serving God and shepherding His people. In January 2019, I joined Africa International University for a Bachelor of Theology degree. In addition to this, I am minoring in developmental studies. I believe this program will help me respond to the biblical mandate to be salt and light in a world that needs virtuous and compassionate leaders. Currently a fourth-year student, I am left with one semester. I can't tell you, since he sent me that, how many times I've read that. It's, it's hard to read, and I know it's hard to hear. But it demonstrates a really hard but vital lesson. Mainly, God doesn't leave us alone in the hard times. God doesn't leave us alone in the hard times. We may feel alone, but we're not alone. And while God allows things to happen to us that we don't understand, God is still working things together for our good. Now that may seem cliche, but the truth is not only is it cliche, but more importantly, it's biblical. And the sooner we mature to the point of understanding that reality, the more we'll be able to cope with the times in life where we're dizzied by difficult circumstances. Today marks the sixth installment in our series, Climbing a Mountain Called Grief. You may recall that for two weeks we dealt with grieving sin. We looked at the fall of humanity, the introduction of sin into the world through the story of Adam and Eve. And then we talked for one week about family disappointment, dealing with Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. We discussed the tragedy that occurred because Cain became jealous of his brother. Then we spent our time looking at the life of Joseph. Joseph was an upright man at times, and it seemed as if he couldn't catch a break. So our time with Joseph we referred to as good people and bad circumstances. Last week, you may recall, we preached about Elijah, Ahab, and Jezebel, and we called the sermon, Don't Name Your Girl Jezebel. No, we didn't. We called it When People Cause You Grief. So we continue this morning climbing a mountain called grief, and this is going to be part one, dealing with grief in loss. Grief in loss. And we find ourselves in the Old Testament book of Job and the very first chapter, Job chapter 1. I'll invite you to stand, please, for the reading of God's Word. Job chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. There were born to him seven sons and three daughters. He possessed 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 female donkeys, and very many servants, so that this man was the greatest of all the people in the east." His sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts." 
Thus Job did continually. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Climbing a mountain called grief, grief in loss. Grief, you may recall, is defined as a deep and poignant distress. As we've noted in our series so far, there are a lot of things, many things in fact, that happen to us in life, a lot of events in life that cause us grief. They, they cause us this poignant distress. This morning we're going to be talking about loss. We'll also be talking about that later on as well. So from the text we just read, I would remind you, first of all, character, wealth, and righteousness will not keep you from experiencing great loss. Character, wealth, and righteousness will not keep you from experiencing great loss. We get that from verses 1 through 5 in the text that we read just a moment ago. I think it's noteworthy that Job's story of loss begins detailing his character, his wealth, and his piety. Job had ten children and a lot of wealth. The Scripture says, in fact, that he was the greatest of all the people in the East, But all of this, all of his greatness will not keep him from suffering and grief. Just recognize then, as we move forward into talking about what Job loses, that he does not end up with the short end of the stick because he's ungodly or because he's mean-spirited or because he's lazy and so forth. No, Job is a man, in fact, of great character. He is a man who has done well. In fact, Job is very well respected by his peers. He feared God and turned away from evil, the Bible says about Job. Job is the kind of man who had his daily devotional time with God first thing in the morning and prayed for all of his children at length by name. Notice what Scripture records. It says, Job would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. So don't think, don't think for one moment that doing the right thing or being the right kind of person and so forth in any way makes you exempt from hardship. I can tell you there have been times in my life when things have been challenging, they've been rough, Obviously, nothing, nothing at all close to what Job endured, but there have been times I have faced challenges in my life, and I have said, God, I'm really trying here. What gives? Can I get a witness? There have been those moments. Now, I've not offered burnt offerings on behalf of my children, only because I don't think that's what we have to do anymore. But I have named their names before the throne of God a lot. I'm not doing it today so I can say it without losing a blessing, but I have fasted as I have prayed for my kids. I've never done a 40-day fast. I've done five days at a time, and even that's been hard. But it's been a blessing. So I'm no Job, but I've sought to live righteously before the Lord. And there have been times that I have prayed about different challenging situations in my life. There have been times, in fact, that I have prayed and times that I have even fasted as I prayed. And from my perspective, even giving all that I can give to that time of prayer, even in the midst of fasting before God, it's been as if nothing has changed. Nothing. At least I've not seen a marked difference from my vantage point. And I thought, hey God, 
I'm, I'm really trying here. And when nothing has happened, at least not according to what I can see, I've been reminded of the truth. And it's a very hard truth. But it's a truth that separates the men from the boys. Can I still say that without being offensive? It separates the men from the boys regarding faith. Here's what I've learned through studying scriptures and also personal observation. From the perspective that we have, there's often no rhyme or reason regarding why someone has been dealt a particular hardship. It makes no sense. It makes no sense whatsoever to us. Further, and I know that's unsettling, It is. It's unsettling. We look at a situation and what somebody's dealing with, and it makes no sense to us. It's unsettling, but it's true. Further, there's no indication related to a time frame in which you or someone going through a challenging time will come out on the other side. We don't know if or when they'll come out on the other side. Further, even if or when we come out on the other side of the challenge, there is no promise whatsoever that we'll come out on the other side unscathed. We just don't know. That's unsettling, but that's the truth. In fact, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, Joel Osteen. (laughs) If you desire to live the right way, you may be persecuted. You may, in fact, suffer. So mark it down. Living for Jesus does not equal a get-out-of-suffering-free card. In fact, sometimes, sometimes the exact opposite is what's true. So character, wealth, And righteousness will not keep you from experiencing great loss. Secondly, this morning, I would have you to note things about which we know very little occur in the universe. Things about which we know very little occur in the universe. Let's move ahead in the text, verses 6 through 12. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Things about which we know very little occur in the universe. When I was a kid, my parents listened to a little radio that we had in the kitchen. Some of you guys will remember those little kinds of radios that we used to have. And I can't tell you how many times I heard it and how often I enjoyed hearing a guy, and many of you will remember this name, hearing a guy by the name of Paul Harvey. 
And Paul Harvey would share a really cool story, and the story was like enough. It was really good as it was. But then all of a sudden, at the end, he would have this big twist of plot, and then he would close by saying, now you know the rest of the story, Paul Harvey. Good day. I mean, in case this preaching gig doesn't work out, I'm going to Branson, man. I can do Elvis too, but that's a story for another day. Some of you guys remember Paul Harvey. The challenge for us is we don't know the rest of the story. The challenge for Job was he he didn't know the rest of the story. He didn't know the background. He didn't know that Satan and God had this conversation. Now, I want to stop for a moment and say something that is vitally important that will have a great bearing upon what you believe regarding good and evil, gain and loss. When I was a young man and began to get really serious about my walk with God, I knew that I needed to read the Bible more and know its contents better in order to know God better. In particular, at that time, there were some people who had been talking with me, because you know how it works when people find out you, you go to church or you're a Christian, all of a sudden they want to play Bible trivia. So they started telling me, as I'm a 19-year-old kid, and they start telling me all their problems, and they're wondering about why it is they're facing this particular grief in life, and they're, they're looking for answers from God about the why of it all. So I thought, I need to find something out so I can help. So I went to the Christian bookstore, and I bought a commentary on the book of Job. I still have the commentary. It is not an easy read by any stretch. I didn't understand the differences in commentaries back in those days. I thought I could go to the bookstore and pick up any commentary, and I would open it, and it would just explain the biblical text to me. But the commentary that I purchased was written by a man who had died about a hundred years earlier. So the language had changed somewhat, and it was based on the King James Version of the Bible, and so it was tedious reading. And further, it, it is what is known as a critical commentary. I didn't realize that what I was looking for was what we would refer to these days as a devotional commentary. So the commentary I bought was a critical commentary. It was a very technical kind of work. It had information mainly about the language of the Bible, stuff that I had never been exposed to before and didn't understand it. So I took that commentary and I put it away, and I went to my church library. Some of you guys remember those things, church libraries. And I picked up a commentary on the book of Job, in our church library. Imagine my surprise when I read the author's words about Satan not being a real being, but rather representative of evil so that the biblical writer could express some things that were just not so good in our world. Well, I was 19, but I wasn't stupid. In other words, the commentator was casting doubt on the historical figure who is the embodiment of evil, whom we call Satan or the devil, 
To the point, I want to be clear, because this makes all the difference in the world about how we understand grief. Just as there is a God in heaven who is, in fact, a real being, there is an accuser. There is a real being who embodies all that is evil. These two concepts, God and Satan, these two concepts are not figments of man's imagination run amok. No, these are real deal entities, real beings with personalities and plans. And I say all of that to say that it matters what you believe about God, and it matters what you believe about Satan, because that will inform what you believe about good and evil. For the record, the biblical record indicates there is a real being known as Satan. Therefore, simplistically, I say, I believe it. Hello? So, we read this account and we recognize what the first point was saying. Character, wealth, and righteousness will not keep you from experiencing great loss. And then we've talked about how there are things which we know very little about that occur in the universe. At the risk of stating the obvious, which is sometimes not so obvious, there are things that happen to us all the time that we don't comprehend, we don't understand, we don't know the rest of the story, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't. That doesn't mean that there's not a purpose to it. That doesn't mean that there aren't forces about which we know very little at work around us, both good as well as evil. One problem we have is that we have the tendency to operate as if we know best. Right? Now, that statement might bring a certain sense of what I would call ironic unbelief when you're sitting in church. When the preacher says something about how ridiculous it is for us to think we always know what's best, we would all likely smirk just a bit. We know how ludicrous that is. We're in a building dedicated to the vast reach of the God of the universe. We are worshiping the God of the universe, saying we understand something about the magnitude of his reach and influence, and therefore we here would not be silly enough to think, to think that our thinking is even close to being on par with his. That's how we think in a church setting. But when we're outside of the church building, when we're in the marketplace, so to speak, when we're confronted with all kinds of ills and hassles and challenges we don't understand, while we may not articulate it, the truth is many of us think we have a better way that the universe ought to run. Come on. And we... That smirk that we had about that in church disappears because now we're away from church and we really think we've got a better way that this this thing should run. And then we sink into armchair quarterback backseat driver mode. Have you ever been running late to an appointment because of traffic? I'm going to name names here in just a minute. Sure, we all have. Let's say, work with me here for a moment, let's say that a pickup truck loses a mattress on the interstate that causes traffic to back up, and you get angry because you know you're going to be late to your appointment because of the traffic. Now, you can be angry if you want, but maybe 
maybe you should just look at it with a little different perspective. Did it ever cross your mind that maybe God caused the mattress to fall out of the back of the pickup truck? Maybe he caused it because God wanted traffic to slow down. Maybe he wanted traffic to slow down because just a couple miles ahead, there was a drunk driver that was on a collision course with your vehicle and causing the mattress to fall out of the pickup truck and thus causing the traffic to back up ensured that the drunk driver and you would never cross paths. And doing that, God kept you and a lot of other people safe. But we're angry because of traffic, and we're late. And God may have just intervened to keep us alive and safe, and we don't even have sense enough to know it. Now listen, I know he doesn't do that all the time. I know that. But sometimes, I think he does. I think he does. All I'm saying is there are things happening all around us that at the time we don't understand. We can't understand. We don't understand because we know very little about the big picture of what God is doing and how Satan is fighting him throughout the universe. To the point, if we admit that fact, we will more easily and more readily acquiesce to God's working in the world. So character, wealth, and righteousness will not keep you from experiencing great loss. Things about which we know very little occur in the universe. Thirdly and finally, it is hard to comprehend the grief a human being can bear. It's hard to comprehend the grief a human being can bear. Verse 13 and following. Now, there was a day when his sons, this is Job's sons and daughters, were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. They weren't Baptist. (laughs) And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on the camels and took them and struck down the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. Can you imagine? You see, it's hard to comprehend the grief a human being can bear. In what seems like a soap opera of sorts, in this episode of As the World of Job Turns, Job learns from a messenger that his oxen and his donkeys were stolen and his servants killed. 
And while the first messenger is speaking, another messenger appears and tells Job that fire has fallen from heaven and burned up his sheep and his servants. And while the second guy is still speaking, a third messenger appears to tell Job that all his camels were stolen and his servants were killed. And while messenger number three is still speaking, a fourth messenger appears to tell Job that his sons and daughters were sharing a meal together and a great wind blows through and strikes the house and the house falls on them and they all died. Can you for one moment imagine? Now, what do you think, what do you think Job was thinking? He endures messenger number one, okay? He gets bad news then from messenger number two, okay? He listens to messenger number three and then messenger number four, and it gets worse progressively each time. Don't you think that somewhere in these conversations, Job crossed the threshold to say, God, I can't take this anymore. Don't you think? Listen, I've, I've had some moments, and you guys have too. There have been times in your life, in my life, where you've thought or I've thought, and maybe we've even said, I can't take this anymore. I can't take anymore. Yeah, you can. You can. I'm not being flippant when I say that. You can. It is amazing what you can deal with as a person created in the image of God. I don't know how God does it, but whatever it is he puts into his creation, it is absolutely amazing what all you can deal with. It's even more amazing what you can deal with as a person created in the image of God, choosing to live your life with faith in Jesus. Now, don't make more of this than what you should, but Steve Brown used to say, for every pagan that gets cancer, a Christian gets cancer too, so the world can see the difference. You understand, I trust, what he means. He means life is hard. For the pagans sometimes. And life is hard for the Christians sometimes, but we're supposed to respond differently so the pagans can see that we really do believe. We're going to speak about our friend Job again later. There's too much to learn from him not to, but for now, let me simply say grief is relative. You know what I mean? Grief is relative. What may not seem like a big deal to you could be a big deal to somebody else if they're in the midst of going through it. It's relative. We all know this. From time to time, somebody will talk with me or I might see their post on social media about their dog dying, something like that. And, and they'll talk about being upset and then they'll say something like, I know this is just a dog and I shouldn't be that upset. And I say, of course you should be upset. That's a loss to you. It's all relative. Losing your dog in death hurts. It does. Losing your job hurts. Even if you go on and get another dog, it still hurts. Even if you go on and get another job, it still hurts. Losing a relationship hurts. Even if you begin another relationship, it still hurts having lost the one that you lost. It doesn't have to be the end of the world as you know it for something to actually hurt. So grief, to the point, grief is relative. And we need to understand that. 
And one of the things that we need to do better as human beings, and certainly as Christians, is not minimizing someone's grief. I've heard a young lady pour out her heart about losing a child in miscarriage, and someone has said in response, well, you'll be able to get pregnant again, so it'll be okay. No, it won't be okay. It won't. The young lady might get pregnant again, and if she does, great, but she's experiencing significant loss, and she is deserving time and attention. It is, listen to me, it is not okay for her. In fact, in some ways, I would agree, I would in fact argue that it may never be okay for her. She will have some measure of hurt due to that loss with her life for the remainder of her days on earth, even if she gives birth to ten children, she'll always remember the one. It's not okay. So we should never minimize anyone's pain. See it for what it is. It's pain. It's grief. It's never easy. And whether you think it's a big deal for somebody else or not, I'm telling you guys, that's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. If it's painful for them, it's painful for them. This story from a friend of mine really made me stop and think about the importance of being sensitive to other people. I mean, really being sensitive to others. This man grew to understand something of how his wife processed her loss and grief And I think it's a beautiful story. Listen to what he writes. He said, My wife and I suddenly became very enthusiastic in decluttering our home. Our house is modest with very little storage, so it's always on our minds to keep things tidy. After a few weeks of throwing items out, I noticed that my wife seemed a bit down. She never shared with me, but I came to realize why. After her mother died, we inherited a lot of her mother's items, and in our zealous attempts to rid ourselves of junk, I asked about removing our old couches and getting some new ones. I thought, sure, my wife would be excited about taking a trip to Nebraska Furniture Mart and picking out some new couches. I didn't think about it at the time, but my wife had worked hard to save these couches and even ordered covers that didn't work out. She tried several different times. After multiple attempts of trying to save these couches, she agreed it was probably time for some new ones. But I couldn't help but notice the sadness she had with that decision. Now, you know where we're going. She's not worried about the couches. The couches represent her mother and her mother who's no longer with her. These were her mother's couches. They're older couches with a few kid stains on them, but they're her mother's couches. I remember when her mother bought these couches when we were just in high school together. So we're currently living with old couches. (laughs) Even years later, it's hard And there are times when things like couches really matter. We both have never been very sentimental about things, but that has changed since her mother's death. I'm learning that keeping some kid-stained couches is worth it, 
if it helps my wife grieve in her own way at her own speed. You've been listening to Stand Forever with Ken Parker. Thank you for taking the time to join us. If you'd like to correspond with us, feel free to email from the contact information found on our church website, www.carneyfbc.com, or write to us at Stand Forever, 303 South Grove Street, Kearney, Missouri, 64060.